Good evening, everyone. Friends, we are celebrating our patron, Saint, St. Nicholas of Tolentino, and we do it once again without the festival, but in our hearts, uh, we will be festival. We'll have great festivity there. My friends, um, our first reading from the great prophet Isaiah, uh, he speaks about the suffering that uh, he has encountered because of God, and yet, uh, through all of this is why he's one of my favorite prophets, he navigates all of life's uh, mysteries, all of life's seasons uh, with, uh, with joy in his heart. And in this particular um, passage, we see that there's been a hardship. And he goes on to encourage the people that even in their trials, they will be sustained just as he was by God. And in that, uh, we should have joy. St. James uh, has a reading that causes tension sometimes <laughs> with the other with the other gospel writers, and uh, St. James puts forth that faith without good works is dead. And although not the words of James himself, I think James would agree that um, the fruit of prayer is faith, absolutely. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is good works and service. And the fruit of good works is enduring peace and the human heart. Friends, we have, um, Jesus poses a very critical and all-important question uh, in the gospel account today. Uh, who do people say that I am? Even though for us it may seem like an obvious and easily answered question, it really was not so obvious for the people of Jesus' time and um, really for people in our time also. The varied responses that we are given John the Baptist, Elijah, some other prophet perhaps, reveals how an answer to his question is not so clear, and that even those who have been walking with him don't seem to know exactly either. Yet it is uh, crucial that we answer Jesus' question, and the person uh, uh, who is contemplating it, and that is us now, uh, we must really come to understand who he is for the way we understand Jesus, who he is, where he came from, determines how we will relate to him. If Jesus, as this people were putting forth as just John the Baptist, uh, which doesn't make any sense, uh, then one would look to him only for instruction regarding moral formation, because that's what John was doing. If he is Elijah, um, then one might regard Jesus merely as a mystical figure of his time. And if Jesus is merely another prophet, then he is only a spokesperson for God and not God himself. Thus, Jesus' question is one that must cause us to go into prayer and discern, and it will call, call us to look at our own uh, preconceptions and our own assumptions and our own labels that we put on Jesus. The people of Jesus' as time as well as us cannot reduce Jesus to what we would like him to be for us. For if we do not know Jesus as he is, then we will never be able to propagate the real and true Jesus. We will not truly know the Father. And in truth, we will never come to know ourselves. I know, this is kind of heavy psychology right here. But... Because 
I put this forth because the scriptures tell us we are his, made in his image. For this reason, in giving our response, we discover the answer to another important question. Who do you and I think that we are? Not in that rude way. Who do you think we are? Who do we think we are? Who are we? Only our Lord Jesus Christ can reveal to us our true natures, who we truly are. For if we were to search only human ideas and actions and attitudes, we would arrive at some truly despairing pictures of human beings. Only Christ can reveal the true dignity of the human person. And he does so by inviting us to discover who he is. In the gospel account, Peter makes a statement. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. We must ask what Peter means by this. To put forth that Jesus is the Messiah requires him and us to give up our mistaken notions and ideas about power, about salvation, and about true happiness. The high priest who belittled and taunted Jesus on that afternoon while Jesus was on the cross possessed a false understanding of the Messiah. We'll find that in Mark's Gospel 14, 61, chapter 15, line 32. Absolutely crucial is the need to know and understand truly our Lord's identity, so much so that Jesus rebukes Peter for trying to hold him back and trying to change God's plan to change God's will. To do this is truly wicked and blasphemous. Peter's faith was immature at the time, but he had it. So, Jesus and his grace and his cross do not uh, come to deliver us from a world with many difficulties. Rather, he came to deliver us from sin and to give us life eternal. Thus, to know the truth about Jesus and to act on that truth is to have salvation. It is to have life eternal, and ultimately, it helps us to embrace the truth about ourselves and who we are in Christ and who we are to the Father. Perhaps that is why the very next thing that Jesus does is to summon the crowd and his disciples and to inform them of the prerequisites of following him to deny oneself, to take up one's cross, and to follow him means to do as he has done. Friends, despite how challenging it can be, we take up the cross of Jesus in order to be saved uh, from taking on things that would otherwise destroy us. And friends, I always look to find different ways to put a, the thoughts that are in my head about these scriptures and... Uh, Sometimes they work out really well, and other times, not so much. Because <laughs> I can tell by the guys, your look and your eyes. It's like, when I started, you know, I saw the look, I went, mm, it's going to be one of those. <laughs> so I go to the scriptures. I don't need other things. And it's found... In Genesis, in Genesis, 
um, we hear from the oldest re monolithic religion in the world. Now, people will argue about Hinduism, but uh, that is not mono monotheistic. They have many gods and that. The oldest one is Judaism. And for the Israelites and for the Hebrews, that would be the uh, Pentateuch, the book, uh, the Torah. And we find in that Genesis, for us, the Pentateuch, our Old Testament. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And then it goes on to say, God said, let us make human beings in our image and our likeness. Now, uh, in their time, now meaning God, in those people's time, they understood God as sitting over a whole heavenly host, and those heavenly hosts collaborated with God, meaning he was in relationship and talked to them. That's why it's written the way it is. Let us make human beings in our image. Then God gave dominion of the humans over fish of the sea, birds of the air, the tame animals, the wild animals, all the creatures that crawl on the earth. Here's the important piece for you to understand. God created humanity in his image. And he imitated them. You and I bear the image of God. And there is no other thing created that I know of that can say the same thing. Turtles don't. They don't. The bunnies running around Father Mark's house don't. Well, they are, they are filled with joy because Father feeds them carrots. <laughs> it's important you understand who Jesus is because you will relate to him by that way. And as a priest, I've encountered so many people that are afraid of him. And I often ask myself, why are you afraid of God? Well, because why are you afraid? You live a faith where you are terrified of God. And you don't have to be. He made you in his image. And this God gave us, made in his image, he also gave us the freedom to choose. And God loves you and I so much, so intensely, that he respects our choices. And here is the astounding thing. God does something that is unimaginable. Because of some of the decisions of humanity, he had to put a plan in place to work 
to reverse the consequences of humanity's decision to choose against him. Are you guys getting this? In this we find the answers to questions that people come to priests with and to uh, spiritual directors. Who am I? Why am I here? Why do I matter? Sometimes they have the really big one. How can there be something out of nothing? <laughs> I go, in the beginning, God. Here's what I get from the scriptures when read properly. You and I are here on purpose. It is not because of happenstance. And we are not created by the universe, by some uh, mathematical ridiculous thing of cosmic convergence or what was that song? Now look at us. <laughs> no, 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 no. In the beginning, God. And then God made us in his image to be image bearers in his creation, to know and to relate to one another, community, and to know and to relate to him. And finally, Scripture, when the fullness of time came, Galatians 4.4, Ephesians 1.10, when the fullness of the time came, he came and joined us. I want you to think of the Garden of Eden when God walked with man. Walked, didn't float, walked. And we're told in Genesis 3, 8, in the afternoon, when it was breezy. That was the beginning. But then, our decisions. And he began to work to reverse the consequences. And as Galatians and Ephesians tells us, when the fullness of time came, he came back here in a very unique way. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the son of Mary. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus, Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Why? Because he loves you. I hope this will help to understand what is bouncing around in Father Mark's head all week when it came to these <laughs> scriptures and to take a different look 
at it. If you don't understand who he is, you're not going to be able to relate to him in the way you should. You will not be able to relate to each other in the proper way because each one of you are made in God's image. You bear the likeness of the creator. You better be nice to each other. You see what I'm getting at? If we don't understand these things, we're never going to understand the Father whose image we're made in. And that means you're never going to understand you. I'm going to make it personal about you. You'll listen. I hope this makes sense. If not, you need to tell me, and then tonight I'll stay up till 2 in the morning rewriting everything so that tomorrow's two masses won't suffer. But I hope, uh, I know it's a little bit heavy on the psychology part, but I hope you'll let it fall in your heart and think about it. Maybe reread those scriptures again with a fresh set of eyes. My friends, uh, our patron, uh, you know how uh, we, I bless the bread of uh, St. Nicholas of Tolentino, they're by his statue. Uh, we have medals with his image on there, uh, always giving glory to God the Father. Uh, in his name, we, uh, I was looking at the bio, and I forgot towards the end it said, uh, talks about what his brother monk did to him. <laughs> and, uh, and it said they hit his body and they couldn't find it. Well, <laughs> I know that that's not true because... <laughs> A couple years ago, remember you guys sent me and I went to Tolentine and spent eight hours next to his body. He was present in his basilica. So I thought, well, <laughs> that's a little off. <laughs> you must have found him since that bio was written. <laughs> I'll have to go back and correct it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there we go, my brothers. Just so when you leave, remember to take uh, some bread with you, uh, maybe for yourselves, maybe for others. If you don't have a medal yet with, his, with our patron, take one of those. Um, always giving glory to God the Father who worked mighty deeds through his servant, Nicholas of Tolentino. Please stand, we'll make our profession of faith. My friends, we have just celebrated the Eucharist, which is the very living bread of, it's the bread of life. In the way that God holds everything Together by his power, we get to hold him in the Eucharist. The bread of life, which you eat, is not a dead thing, but alive and gives life to you and creates that path back to him. Let us contemplate these great mysteries of love.